I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. While the emergence of CAR-T therapies have been promising, these autologous cellular therapies are costly to produce since they require taking T-cells from a patient being treated, altering them, and then infusing them back into the patient. Selectus is among a growing list of companies pursuing off-the-shelf CAR-T therapies. The company's UCARTs, or Universal chimeric antigen receptor T-cells are allergenic products that can be standardized and carry both time and cost advantages. We spoke to Andre Shulika, CEO of Selectus, about the company's off-the-shelf CAR-T therapies, the platform technology behind them, and its programs in development. Andre, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for inviting me. We're going to talk about Selectus, its efforts to develop off-the-shelf CAR-T immunotherapies, and its pipeline. Let's start, though, with the challenges of CAR-T therapies today that developing off-the-shelf therapies could address. What are those? Well, there are a series of issues that... uh come with autologous CAR-T therapies, of course, there have been a paradigm shift and a huge revolution in the field of immunotherapies in fighting cancer. And they're starting to see people that are today cured. It means they're cancer-free after seven or 10 years uh, post-treatment. And so this is spectacular. And it's really uh, uh, breathtaking to see how much these lives has been changed. However, uh, there is a lot of challenges also. An autologous cell therapy starts with the raw material that comes from the patient. So the patient has to produce cells to make the therapy itself. And when you look at studies that have been made by, for example, Novartis or others, uh, a physician sees patient that can be treated and series of others, actually close to one out of two uh, that cannot be treated for numbers of reasons because either they don't have enough T cells or the quality of the T cells aren't great enough, et cetera, et cetera. Or also there are like series of uh, things that comes into play, which is the delay between where they uh, take out the T cells to make the CAR T cell, so to introduce the CAR after and reinject this autologous T cell to the patient. And this delay can be sometimes quite long and the patient needs a treatment. So either he drops out and go another treatment or sometimes come into certain complication that could not be addressed. So, and sometimes the, 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 uh, the product don't come there or like well, the product is lost. The other thing and the other limitation of uh, autologous therapies where you just take the T-cell from the patient and reinject them after uh, of the same patient uh, cells is that these cells can stay for long. And uh, so you could do this, for example, with certain type of targets such as CD19 in B-cell malignancies 
or BCMA and multiple myeloma, but we've seen that over the past 12 to 15 years in dealing with these type of autologous therapies, it has been very limited to essentially these main targets. And the expansion of these type of therapies to other targets where the therapy has to stay for long, such as, for example, targets that are expressed on cells that are very important for the survival of the patient or where there could be certain side effect and maintaining their therapy there forever has... Uh, very much being limited. And so we don't see anything than CD19 CAR and B cell malignancies and BCMA in, uh, in multiple myeloma. And the off-the-shelf therapies unlock totally the potential of the CAR T therapies. First of all, the T cells are not sourced from the, the patient itself, but they come from healthy donors. So the startup, the starting material is super high quality cells that come from healthy donors, then we can engineer these cells through gene editing and gene transfer. And then afterwards, these cells are put in vials, frozen and stored. And then the kids sit at the hospital. And at the this cancer decision treatment, there is no waiting time immediately these therapies can be delivered to the patient. It's unlike autologous therapy where you have to produce the T cells and then it has to be sent to a manufacturing center, sent back, etc. with all these logistics that are extremely complicated and with the waiting time where the tumor burden can grow, here it's immediately available. So it's really great. Uh, the second thing that is important is that more and more uh, the autologous therapy trying to shorten the time to deliver the therapy, but that poses another problem, which is the quality control of the product itself. And we owe the patient the necessity of having a product that is high quality and very reliable. And with autologous therapies, that time is very limited. For allogenic therapies, you can take the time to quality control and release these products that are super high quality. And then finally, with uh, allogenic therapies, it's a hit and run procedure. So you can whack the cells expressing the tumor associated antigen and then the therapy is gone. It's not meant to stay in the patient forever. So it expands the potential to go in a lot of different type of indication from acute leukemia to not Hodgkin lymphoma to other type of, uh, 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 of uh, indication, including, for example, some indication for solid tumors that are really interesting. And then finally, also, uh, uh, allergenic therapies are... Uh, cost-effective at the end compared to autologous therapies that are extremely expensive because it's one process, one patient. Here, it's one batch, and you can go those hundreds of patients. So the difference is really huge, and potentially it would be way more uh, efficient uh, for the healthcare system in general and the availability to everyone of these type of therapies. So it's potentially democratizing these type of of, of access to these therapies and potentially climbing also the line. So going from like third line to second line and potentially I definitely see allogenic therapies coming first line. Selectus has two platform technologies. One is its gene editing technology known as Talon. What is Talon and, and how does it work? 
So Talon is a gene editing tool. It's like a pair of scissors that cut DNA very precisely. It's quite simple because it's composed of little, uh, what's called variable D residues, RVDs, that you can figure out like beads. Every one of these beads recognize a letter in DNA. So the way to assemble them, so for example, you have a sequence that is H, C, T, G, 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 whatever, then you take a bead of like recognizes A, then you assemble a C, and then a D, etc., and it makes a long uh, uh, protein that will recognize a very long stretch in the DNA, which is necessary to be very accurate and precise and safe in the genome. And so the total recognition is 32 base pair, which makes it extremely uh, reliable. And then we add two cutting heads at each side so they can clip DNA on both sides and it would trigger a break in the DNA and then the editing can come. You can either delete DNA, so what's called the gene knockout, you can repair DNA, so it's a gene correction, or you can insert or replace DNA, which is uh, gene insertion or gene replacement. So it's very flexible, it's extremely precise, and it's very uh, simple to design. I, I think if you say gene editing today, most people think of CRISPR-Cas9. How does Talon compare in terms of cost, precision, or or other measures? So there is always a, a disconnect between CRISPR and other gene editing technology. By the way, there is four gene editing technology. There is meganucleases, there is zinc finger nucleases, there is Talon, and there is CRISPR. And uh, for example, Talon has been discovered in 2010, 2011, and CRISPR in 2012. So there are not that much delay between the two. The huge success of CRISPR and why they got the Nobel Prize and why it's becoming such a popular uh, technology and why today you tell me that everyone would think of CRISPR-Cas9 as, a gene ed- as the gene editing, only gene editing technology. Uh, even people say uh, CRISPR gene editing in the same almost word altogether because it is accessible to the lame biologist. So when it has been discovered, very rapidly, it means six months, one year after the discovery, it catched up like fire in the world community of biologists that were not able to edit genes before CRISPR. And suddenly, every biologist on the planet became a gene editor. First of all, this is definitely worth a Nobel Prize because democratization of gene editing has been spectacular with CRISPR. But it comes also with a lot of type of limitations. And uh, it doesn't recognize a very long stretch in the DNA, so the security is not always extremely high, even though if it has been improved by what they call high fidelity CRISPR, etc. I always have new versions of better CRISPRs. And so you wonder, so the former versions of CRISPR were not safe. Oh no, but the new version is safe. So next year they come with another version that's safer than the other. The tail end has been always safe from the beginning, 
plus the precision of tailing compared to CRISPR is extremely high. It means CRISPR, there is motifs called the PAM sequence that limits the targeting to approximately 60, 70 base pairs. So you can place the cut not exactly where you want it, but where the design allowed you to place the cut. So it lacks precision. Where the tail end, you can definitely place the cut exactly where it is, like between four or five base pairs. So it's extremely precise. And that makes a huge difference. Plus the recognition side of a, of a tail end, I said it before, it's 34 base pairs compared to like 18 to 20. So it's a very high uh, efficiency. It's extremely rapid to design a tail end. It means between the time you have the ID up to the time you make the experiments, it can take four to five days versus CRISPR, you need prob probably a week to order a guide RNA. And then the cost is extremely cheap because it's assembled by robotics. And so it can get a tail end quite rapidly. I, I mean, the investment to make this robotics and all the knowledge that Selectus has been generating over the years, over the, the talent technology, by the way, that has been discovered by brilliant scientists from University of Minnesota, and we licensed this from the University of Minnesota. Uh, there is like the one that has been really the the big discoverer of like Talon is uh, uh, Daniel Voitas, Professor Daniel Voitas at University of Minnesota. Uh, so it's not the technology that comes out from Select, it's something we licensed, but we worked on this. Makes it extremely uh, powerful. And we elected Talon compared to all the other technologies as something that would definitely be safer and more efficient for a therapeutic use. If CRISPR is, can be very exciting to be used in research and development, we believe that Talon overtops by far CRISPR for numbers of reasons for a therapeutic use. Last but not least, Talon clips DNA and releases at the same speed from the, both sides. And that also gives a safety thing. For CRISPR, the release is differential between one side of the cut and the other, and that induces what's called uh, chromotrypsis, loss of heterozygosity, and a lot of chromosomal aberrations that you don't see with Talon, and that makes Talon way more a better therapeutic approach at the end, notwithstanding the fact that it's not visible like this from the outside because everyone talks about CRISPR gene editing, CRISPR gene editing, CRISPR gene editing, but all in all, when you look at all the patients that receive gene-edited product that's uh, in, in clinical settings, I think Talon comes first compared to all the CRISPR clinical trials that have been done worldwide, way above. And I think the first product to come to commercialization will be Talon gene-edited and certainly not CRISPR. Your other platform technology is post-agile which is used to deliver RNA or DNA into cells through electroporation. How does this work and how do you use it? So in 2010, Selectus uh, acquired the assets of a company based in Maryland called Cytopulse. And so since 12 years, we've been working on this technology, rebuilt it from scratch, and we've expanded the use of, of this uh, Cytopulse technology and made it large scale and uh, uh, used for therapeutic use also. So the way it works is it's you put the cells into this machine and the cells will be uh, pulsed with electric uh, pulses that will open little holes in the in the surface of the cell 
and then will push inside the cell nucleic acids, either DNA or RNA. And they will get inside. This will done, be done very gently. And then so those little holes will, uh, be, uh, will reform afterwards and the cells will have the nucleic acid that enters. Currently, what we use it essentially for is uh, uh, let messenger RNA enter the cell. So we manufacture our own messenger RNA, and we use our own electroporation machine to push these messenger RNA inside the cell. And these messenger RNA code for talon. So that's the gene editing step is usually an electroporation by cytopulse of messenger RNA coding for talon, and the cell will be gene edited. And what's the implication of these technologies on the cost and development of these therapies? Well, the use of uh, your own electroporation technology uh, allows you first to adapt it as much as you can to all the application you want. So you can play with the waveform, with the buffers, etc., versus using a third party. But the cost is definitely impacted by not paying third party royalties, upfronts, and and all these costs because it's all internal. Plus, you also master the way to do these things, so you know exactly. It's not a black box that you're using where you just press a button and the thing happens. You have the full mastering of all these technologies and can build better drugs at the end. You're developing a class of immunotherapies you call UCARTs. What are UCARTs and what allows them to be allergenic? So we call them UCARTs, so we add the U because it's a universal CAR-T. It means that it can be given to any person. An autologous CD19 CAR T, such as CAR, yes, CARTA Kimrea, the product is only for one patient. A U CART fits all. So that's why they're universal. That's why we added the U. And the way to get a universal CAR T comes through gene editing by knocking out a gene called the TCR alpha. So it's the alpha chain of the T cell receptor that is destroyed. And so the cell, the T cell, lose their ability to recognize foreign uh, bodies that gets into a, a patient. So the cell will not what's called alloreact and induce a disease called the graft versus host disease. If you inject a T cell without doing this, you're going to induce this graft versus host disease, which is a terrible thing. And you don't want to do this because it's extremely harmful to the patient. The only two way, way to get out of this is to gene edit with talent, for example, the TCR, and it makes them extremely safe cells. For now, like we're those over 170 patients with UCAR-Ts between us and our partners. And there is uh, seriously like the Graphosos disease has not really appeared as a problem. Very successful. Beyond engineering these cells so they're allergenic, how do you engineer them so they target a specific cancer or what other ways are you able to engineer them? Engineering the TCR and removing the TCR allows you to remove the allergenicity of the cell, but that doesn't make a cell to attack cancer cells. So what we're going to do, we're going to add a, a CAR, a chimeric antigen receptor. So it has a head that is come from like a monoclonal antibody called an SCFV that would recognize a target on the surface of tumor cells or a tissue. 
For example, CD19 is expressed on B cells and is expressed on a lot of other uh, 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 cells than only cancer cells. So all the B cells will be expressing CD19. And that would allow not only to target uh, the cancer cells, but also all the B cells and get rid of them so they can regrow afterwards. And each time you can find a way to target different specific cancers. For example, uh, CD19 is for B cell malignancy, CD22 also, CD123, which is the target for acute myeloid leukemia, uh, CS1 or SLAMF7 or BCMA are meant for uh, multiple myeloma. And then also you have certain targets that can be for a larger set of, of cancers, such as, for example, Mach 1, uh, uh, actually for triple negative breast cancer, or FAP, which can tar address a lot of different type of solid tumors. You have a, a number of products in development through alliances, but I want to focus on the UCARTs that you're developing on your own. There are three programs that are designed to treat a range of blood cancers that are in clinical development. This includes one for multiple myeloma, one for B-cell acute lymphoblastic leukemia, and one for acute myeloid leukemia. What's known about the safety and efficacy of these from studies that have been done to date? Well, so far we had no issue on one of the product uh, for acute, lymphobla uh, uh, acute lymphoblastic leukemia called UCAR-22. And uh, we've been running smoothly this trial with showing data with efficacies that are extremely exciting. And it's definitely an alternative to CD19. With CS1, it's a ex very exciting product because it's self-lymphodepleting. So it would self-engraft in there and have a specific edit of the CS1 protein inside the T cells that allow it to do. So it suppress suppresses fratricide killing. Uh, we had two years ago a patient that died from infection with this type of CAR uh, following a treatment with the, this type of CAR. It was not exactly the CAR that uh, was responsible for the death of the patient, but there was a death of a patient that led to a clinical hold uh, for a certain period of time, and uh, this hold was lifted. And so far through all 2021, we've been a recruiting patient on a DL-1, and so far, the safety uh, uh, has uh, been assessed during this period. But every therapy that is very highly efficient comes with, it's always double-edged sword, come with a, a, a risk of potential side effects uh, with CAR-T in general. So you have seen that uh, through the history of CAR-T, there was some series of uh, of issues such as uh, uh, the, the cytokine release syndrome that can induce certain side effects that can be uh, 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 harmful. You have the efficacy on one side, but you have a safety issue to be dealt with that can be dealt injecting today uh, anti-IL-6, which is tocilizumab. Uh, for uh, UCAR-123, CD-123 is expressed on myeloid progenitors and is a very interesting target for acute myeloid leukemia that is certainly non-medical need with a very deadly type of disease. And uh, the fact that it's expressed on myeloid progenitors, uh, you don't need this uh, uh, CAR to be expressed on a long period of time. That's why you don't want an autologous CAR-T. For allergenic CAR-T, we'll also had a clinical hold in the past with a CRS grade, grade five that came up. But so far, uh, we see that 
we have certain ways to uh, tame the safety and we'll speak about the efficacy uh, probably later this year. But we're very excited by the three cars that we're developing currently and we have a new indication that will go in the clinic soon, uh, which is a dual CAR T targeting CD22 and CD20. It's a dual CAR for not Hodgkin's lymphoma. So it's a, it's a very, very nice momentum we're in now and the enrollment of patient is uh, is moving uh, through as expected. Are you looking at these as monotherapies or do you expect them to be used in combination with other treatments? Well, this is an excellent question. First of all, it's difficult to answer for every car is a different type of story. For example, the CS1 car could be potentially comboed with other cars. Uh, with other type of therapies that treat multiple myeloma to make them more efficient. Uh, no, I think that, uh, you know, tackling cancer is, uh, monotherapies can definitely be great. And we believe that all of these uh, uh, cars that we're developing can be monotherapies, but we envisage also the ability to potentially enhance or expand their potential in different type of malignancies through combination with other therapies that can go from like uh, checkpoint inhibitors, uh, PD-1 blockers, or other type of, of molecules that can be developed with them and makes them more efficient. I'm a strong believer in combos at the end and uh, definitely want to go for, through monotherapies and combos also. Do you see any potential for UCARTs and solid tumors? Well, of course, yes. Uh, we have at least three assets that are in preclinical study today that will push in the clinic uh, uh, soon, I hope, uh, which is one called UCARM mesotelin for mesothelioma that can be used also for pancreatic cancer or other type of therapies. Uh, UCAR Mach 1 for triple negative breast cancer, FAP, as I said before, the, so fibroblast associated protein uh, that can turn like cold tumors and hot tumors or like close to 70% of the tumors that cannot be addressed by chemotherapies or other type of therapies because they're cold tumors. And uh, using FAP can unlock this potential and can turn this into a high potential for tackling tumors that cannot be treated, solid tumors that cannot be treated. However, to come back to your uh, former question, like the uh, previous question, uh, solid tumors will be tackled by combos. And I think monotherapies using CAR-T is, uh, could work in certain settings, but if you want really to give all the potential of these type of therapies, it would definitely have to go through combo combination therapies, and that's the way we see it. We focused on your assets that you're developing on your own, but you do have a number that you have partnered. How does partnering fit into your broader strategy? How are you using it to leverage your platform technologies? Yes, like partnering is extremely important in our strategy. First of all, gene editing and cell therapy platform has so much potential, we can fill the pipeline of any big pharma in no time. We have more IDs than we can definitely fund, or and uh, that also leaving IDs or leaving products or third parties' IDs or, or, or of products in general is uh, is is not acceptable because there are patient waiting. So the best way to do this is to partner up 
and find more forces and join forces with other companies such as Allogene, Iovan, Cytovia, Servier, etc., to push these technologies around. So it's important for us because we can see certain products that we cannot develop, move forward with third parties that are extremely motivated to get them there. So you see how Allogen is developing uh, CD19, uh, CAR-T L501 or, or the, the BCMA one with a lot of uh, uh, energy and power or IOVANS developing tumor infiltrating lymphocytes. It's really great on one side, plus also for Selectus, it allows us to get some non-dilutive funding to fund also uh, certain programs we have internally and put more force on certain assets we'd like to push forward. At the end of September, you had about $200 million in cash. How far will this take you, and do you expect to need to do any additional fundraising anytime soon? So it's a, it's a great question. So $200 million cash is not a, a high number, but it's not a low number either. And we can do plenty of things with 200 million of cash. So we decided at the end of last year to focus essentially on the four assets we talked today. So targeting like the CD9, CD22 car, the CD123 car, the CDCS1 car, and the 20 by 22 car in all these types of malignancies, we strongly believe in there and probably pose or shelf a bit the other programs we have or potentially part of them. Uh, uh, and so that takes us in an extension of our cash runway up to uh, first quarter 2024, so two years from now. And uh, that's give us like uh, quite a long comfort zone, first of all, to uh, release uh, great data, I hope, in the future. Uh, and that would if the data is great, allow us to raise a meaningful amount of finances to push one, two, or the four products into a registrational trial and potentially file a BLA for a series of them. Andre Shulika, CEO of Selectus. Andre, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.